Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. Tracy and I are going to continue our conversation that we started last week about spiritual bypass. If you did not hear last week's episode, please go back to the podcast, find last week's episode and listen to it first, and then catch up with us here once you are finished. Before we continue, I want to give a shout out to women who are interested in Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group, which is our daily online support group. We have multiple sessions per day in multiple time zones. We designed BTRG just for you. We designed it so that you never have to get childcare, you never have to get transportation, so you can get on very quickly after any abuse episode or disclosure or anything that happens and immediately talk to a betrayal trauma recovery professional as well as other women who understand what you're going through. You never have to wait for an appointment, you never have to try and explain what's happening to someone, they immediately get it. So if you have not joined Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group and you don't have immediate access to this amazing resource, please go to our website, btr.org, click on online support group under the services tab and check out the daily support group schedule. See if it will work for you. If it doesn't, we have individual sessions that you can sign up for to meet with a BTR coach one-on-one on a time that works for you. Many of you know that we partner with Center for Peace, which is a program for abusive men. It is not an addiction recovery program because we believe that pornography is an abuse problem. So it's an abuse cessation program for men. Center for Peace is starting another 12-week intensive in February. It's a a five-day-a-week program for men, and then they do have to do one individual session per week. The intensive only takes five men, and then we cut it off at that. And every time we run a new intensive, we have men who really wanted to make it into that group, and they did not sign up quick enough. So please, if you want to do that, go to cenfp.org and schedule an individual session with Coach Joy to start the process. There are some really stringent requirements that Coach Joy can tell you about at Center for Peace. So if you're interested, I really encourage you to go there, reach out to Coach Joy, start that process now, and make sure that you pay for the intensive to hold your spot, because those spots do go quickly. Let's talk about how spiritual bypass is problematic for a man exhibiting abusive behaviors. Okay, so my husband, leading up to that second big D-Day, his heart was actually beginning to change, which is, I think, unusual in these stories, but he really did want to be rid of the addiction. Now, he was not at a place where he was realizing how harmful it was to me or that he was abusing me. He wasn't there yet, but for himself, his heart was beginning to change and he wanted to be rid of this thing. And so he threw himself into spirituality. He threw himself into all of these good things. He was becoming very involved in our church community, very service oriented. He was reading the scriptures for like a certain amount of time every day. He was on his commutes to work. He was listening to sermons and he was keeping track in his little calendar journal of acting out points. And he convinced himself that this was all serving him really well because he was getting longer periods of abstinence between acting out events than he ever had before in his life. He was going like a whole two weeks between acting out for a period of months. And he was convincing himself because he was doing all of these things that he was really progressing. Were those good things? Yes, I maintain those were good things. But did they actually help him to progress? No. 
He elongated an abuse cycle to two weeks. If, absolutely. Yes, he fooled himself into thinking he was making progress. But it was a two steps forward, three steps back. And he was still living in lies and secrecy and abusing me. See, he told himself, no, this is good because I will tell what's been going on after I've gotten like six months or a year of sobriety under my belt. And it will be this like really awesome thing. And she'll be so excited for me. But the thing is, like he was never going to get to six months or a year. He was just bypassing and it was keeping him completely stuck in addiction and keeping me stuck in abuse. In about the period of one to two years post that second D-Day, he was exhibiting another form of spiritual bypass. He was doing all of the right things on paper for recovery. He'd done a formal disclosure. He had gone to a 12-step group, was still going to it. He'd repented, done the repentance process through our ecclesiastical leader. He was doing all of these right things, but that was just it. He thought that he was done. He thought that he had arrived and that there was essentially no more work to do, just kind of maintenance. And basically he was content with sobriety and this kind of event of repentance and forgiveness. Like that's all been taken care of. So can we just put a bow on it and lock it up in the closet and never talk about it again? This is just another example of how he used spiritual bypass. So addicts can even use working recovery, quote unquote, as a form of bypass, where they convince themselves that they're doing so great but they're really not. And in fact, 12-step can become a form of bypass. Now, that doesn't mean that it's all bad or that it's not good, but it can definitely become a bypass and inhibit further, better recovery. I think for the women, it becomes bypass when instead of asking the question, have the abusive behavior stopped, which is a good question to ask, right? Or am I emotionally safe, which is another good question to ask. A lot of women ask the question, is he in recovery? Which I think is a bad question to ask because that question can be answered with, well, yeah, he's in recovery because he goes to his weekly 12-step meeting and he's going to therapy every week. It seems like that question can be answered with things he is doing with, am I emotionally safe or have the abusive behaviors stopped? Is more a question of what he currently is. Is he currently safe? Yes. Then the abusive behaviors have stopped. Then you can look for, is he lying? Is he manipulating? Like, is my gut telling me something is off? That seems to be a much better question for victims to ask than, quote unquote, is he in recovery? I agree. And there is this false hope and a sense of safety, but it's not genuine safety. It's just a feeling of safety that we so desperately want. I think it's a hope of safety because if they're attending a 12-step meeting and they're attending therapy, then you're not safe yet, but you're hoping to be safe soon. So instead of setting a boundary immediately and saying, okay, I need to get to safety now and then watch from a safe distance to see if these abusive behaviors stop, you're like tolerating the abusive behaviors with the hope that they'll stop sometime in the future. Yeah. When we're in that terrible trauma and we just want relief, it's easy to latch on to the idea of there's like a cure or a fix or a place of arrival. Like, well, once my husband gets to this place, like this many years of recovery or whatever, then we'll be good. This really will be all behind us. And, but it, again, it's that false sense of security. And really, I have learned that to be genuinely safe and at peace with myself, I have to let go of any kind of control 
or expectation. So I have to live with the reality that my husband could make choices any day, that if he ever goes back and I find myself back in this cycle, that I will separate myself. And so that comes with an acceptance that that is possible. That is always possible. That means that divorce is possible. And see, that may be hard for some women to accept. It seems like, oh, but who wants to live with that reality that that's always possible? We rather live with the idea or assurance that no, that's never going to be on the table. We're going to get to a place. We're going to make it and everything's going to be great. And I just want to get to a place where we can take that off the table completely because my husband's doing great. But my husband's doing great and I'm doing great and we're doing great. And it does not take away from my peace to know in the back of my head that divorce is always possible or that relapse is always possible. Rather, it reminds me that my safety is in God and in trusting myself and my relationship to God, my connection, my gut, that's where my safety is. And so that allows me to enjoy the peace and the joy that I'm feeling right now in my relationship. What it does is currently today, you're not experiencing abusive behaviors. And because you have not been experiencing them for some time, you do not appear to be in any cycle. But you wouldn't know if you were in a cycle unless it happened again. And at that point, you could look back and reframe what your current experience is. But until that happens, why not just enjoy the moment? And hopefully it never happens again because this period of peace and safety is not a grooming period. It's actually that he's changed his behaviors. I'm always concerned of like these peaceful good times. How do we know if they're another maybe long and maybe better grooming period because he's learned perhaps how to be nicer or whatever, right? Like he's learned all this therapy speak. So he's able to groom a little bit better than he has been before. Or is it genuine? He has actually learned the skills of honesty. He's learned the skill of compassion and empathy. So at first, how do we know the difference between those two, grooming or genuine change? And the answer to that is going to be time. That's the only answer. Over time, you will see. And I would be willing if if I were myself in your situation, to let that play out if currently I'm not experiencing any abusive behaviors. Right, exactly. And for me, I just, I feel so much more safe and secure and at peace having learned to live with the uncertainty. Because that's just it, is that I do know, even while I'm experiencing good things in my relationship right now, and I think that we're going to be fine forever, I hope that we're fine forever, but I don't know that we will be. And I actually can have more peace, like allow myself to open up more fully, to be more vulnerable, to really just give myself over to the, to the, the goodness that we're experiencing right now, like let my guard down and just embrace it. I'm better able to do that when I also understand at the same time, kind of paradoxically, that it might not last that things could change and that that's okay if things change. Will it still be painful if he relapses and we got a divorce? Yes, it would be painful. (laughs) It would be awful. But I know that I can heal from that. I know that I can move on from that. I know that I can still be in a good place with God through that. And so just learning to live with the uncertainty, just learning to kind of live in a place of discomfort, of knowing 
that there's no way to really control the outcome. There's no guarantee that everything's going to be good forever. And that's okay. And that's why I can really embrace what is good now. And so in the same kind of way, when I think about, am I safe? It's, am I safe now? Am I safe to say, engage in this conversation with my husband? Am I safe to you know, let my husband back in my bedroom? This could be different, you know, for different women or at different times in your relationship. But, so my question is not, am I safe to recommit to my husband that we're going to be together forever and divorce is never on the table? No, no, I wouldn't even ask that question. It's, am I safe right now to continue engaging in the relationship the way that I am right now? The answer is yes. So I do knowing that that can change. Yeah, that makes so much more sense. I love that. I'm so grateful you brought that up. So let's talk about some other examples that a man exhibiting abusive behaviors may use to manipulate his victim in terms of spiritual bypass. It might be, I used the atonement. Jesus took away my sins. So I don't know what, you don't believe in Jesus? You know, that sort of ish. Well, that's just spiritual abuse. There's a great book called Recovering Spirituality. I recommend everyone read. It's by Ingrid Matthew. The point from which she's writing the book is about how spiritual bypass is used within like 12-step stuff in recovery from addiction. But the principles in the book, the concepts are universally applicable. So I would say to a wife who's not so concerned with her husband's addiction, read the book anyway, because the concepts are universally applicable, even though it's written more in the context of addiction recovery. Anyway, here's a quote from this book. She says, inherent in offensive spirituality is a feeling of superiority that Batista says insists that others live up to a spiritual standard as a condition for a relationship while using the standard to avoid emotional conflicts and problems. A person who is engaged in offensive spirituality temporarily escapes her vulnerability by feeling as though she has risen above it. And so we can do that with ourselves or with others. Others can do that with us. But the question that you are asking, when this happens to a victim, I mean, it's just straight up spiritual abuse. Why haven't you forgiven yet? Why can't you move on? Why are you being so unchristlike? They're parading what seems to be their devotion to their religious beliefs as legitimate when they're really just a form of spiritual bypass if they existed at all, but in this case is actually simply gaslighting. Right. Yeah. The day after my last D-Day, I was simply expressing how I was feeling to my husband. I was expressing how much pain I was in. And he looked at me and he said, I cannot tolerate this cruelty and walked away from me, tried to walk away from me. And I said, don't you walk away from me calling me cruel, like suggesting that somehow I'm devoid of compassion. And so I'm falling short of some spiritual standard, right? Is the idea because he's trying to escape the shame that he is feeling his own shame that is triggered when I express my pain, that shame is his problem, not my problem. And me expressing my pain is actually a good, healthy thing for me to be doing. Doesn't mean I'm not compassionate. Yeah. Both for you and for him. That is a form of gaslighting to say, you telling me how you feel about me abusing you is mean, is absolutely ridiculous. A comic on Facebook said, I'm so, so sad and depressed about how you're talking about me abusing you. <laughs> yeah. And this can happen with ecclesiastical leaders as well, both for the addict and for the victim. 
or the abuser and the victim, bishops or pastors who tell men, well, you just need to pray this away. Praying alone is going to work. Or just, you need to immerse yourself in the scriptures, and then that will give you strength to, to overcome this but not addressing like the underlying like psychological issues that are at play here that need to be addressed. Reminds me of Luke 18, where the unjust judge says, pray and God will help you, right? But he actually has the ability to hold the offender accountable in many ways. Instead of holding the offender accountable, perhaps putting him in jail or whatever other options that that judge has for that offender, instead of doing that, he tells the victim, Pray, God will help you when he is actually refusing to be that help, shirking his duty as a judge. He could be the instrument in God's hand to help and is not. So this happens often to victims as well. Like, why haven't you forgiven yet? You just need to forgive. As if the forgiveness is the problem rather than the ongoing abuse too. Right. One of the most important lessons that I learned after my second D-Day was that forgiveness is not an event. It is a process and that's okay. And there's no timeline for it. For me, what I tell women is as long as their heart is open to healing, that's good enough. Like that's good enough, right? Because I hear women beat themselves up because they haven't forgiven yet six months out or a year out. And I'm like, but just the very fact that you're having this conversation with me tells me that you are open to healing and that you want to forgive and that you're working on it. So to me, you're doing great. And obviously we know that forgiveness does not mean accepting bad behavior or living with abuse or anything like that. But yeah, the just forgive is definitely spiritual abuse in terms of trying to push spiritual bypass as a solution. Well, and a lot of times it doesn't take safety into account. So you're telling a victim to basically tolerate abuse and that if she doesn't, that she's the problem rather than the abuse. And that's why boundaries are so compassionate, because sometimes we need to separate ourselves to a degree or to several degrees, depending on the situation, to get a level of safety so that we can better love a person or forgive a person. But it's asking almost the impossible and certainly something very unhealthy to ask someone who is literally living in abuse and being currently and continually harmed to just forgive, as if that's going to make them not be affected by the abuse. Yeah, we we know that doesn't work. And I love you that you brought that up. We know that in order to facilitate forgiveness, boundaries need to be in place. The abuse needs to have stopped either because the man exhibiting abusive behaviors has stopped participating in those behaviors. That's one way. Or that you've set a boundary and so they're no longer continually harming you. I mean, either way works. But then you're able to get enough traction on your healing to start thinking about forgiveness. The other thing is if women, instead of saying, I'm working toward forgiveness, they can just reframe it as I'm healing, right? I mean, the the word forgiveness and healing could be used synonymous, I think, in that context. Right, right. And yet they're not one and the same. Forgiveness is one aspect of healing, but oftentimes spiritual leaders will talk about them as if they are one and the same. Well, if you just forgive, then you will be healed. That's not the way it works. So if we are aware of what spiritual bypass is, then we can come to realize that it's not always a bad thing. 
and that we don't have to just put off all spiritual things because, oh no, they're a defense mechanism and they're going to keep us stuck. Like we can learn to use those good things in a way that is helpful to us as opposed to a way that is a crutch or a coping mechanism or an avoidance tactic. Also, like for me, when I reflect on my experience post my first D-Day and then my second D-Day, it's helpful for me to recognize that I did benefit personally in terms of my own connection with God and my own spiritual growth. I did benefit to a degree based on the experience that I had with God there. While it was a form of bypass that kept me in that relationship, that is not a good thing. I don't have to discount the experience entirely. I can hold on to the good lessons that I learned for myself in terms of my connection with God, like the power of God that I experienced there. And spiritual bypass, if we understand what it is and are aware of it so that as we incorporate spiritual things into our lives, we're doing it in a healthy way as opposed to a like a defense mechanism kind of way, then we can look back on periods or instances where we recognize we had been bypassing and see that, okay, but that was helpful to me in this way or in that way. So just to have compassion on ourselves is I guess what I'm trying to say. The thing that we want to avoid, that I suggest we would want to avoid, is having blinders on to the concept at all, like getting defensive about the idea of the concept. So I can think of people in my life who are not aware of it, and they live good lives, and they do good things, but it's very clear that they have these psychological blocks that keep them stuck. And that's what we hopefully want to be able to learn to move past as we learn about spiritual bypass so that we can accept and have compassion on ourselves when we use it at certain times when it can be helpful like for example there are times when we may be feeling just so heavy and we just really want to break it's just too heavy tonight it's just too heavy i'm gonna go read my scriptures or say a prayer ask for god to take this feeling away listen to some uplifting music whatever recognizing that's what I'm doing. It's an intentional thing because right now it's just too heavy and I need this comfort. That's okay. That's not a bad thing. Is it bypass? Yeah, technically, but that's not a bad thing. That's not the kind of bypass that's going to keep you stuck unless you're unaware that that's what you're doing and you use that as like a a cure-all for your whole life every time you encounter something hard. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, I don't think the way that you just described it in that context would be spiritual bypass because you know I need a break from this, but this is not going to be the end all be all. I'm not going to kneel down and be completely healed when I stand up. So Ingrid Matthew, who wrote the book, Recovering Spirituality, she makes a distinction between adaptive and maladaptive spiritual bypass. So that would be a form of adaptive spiritual bypass. It still is bypassing, but if you're aware of it and you're doing it intentionally, and it's not keeping you stuck, it's okay to do that sometimes. But maladaptive is when we're unaware of what we're even doing, and so we are stuck, and we stay stuck. Yeah. There's never going to be anything wrong with asking God for comfort and for asking him for peace, right? The only thing is, if you're in an abusive situation, a moment of peace is not going to solve your problem. A moment of comfort isn't going to solve your problem. 
And so you can feel that comfort enough to move forward, to set a boundary, to know what you need to do. And also for a break from the intense emotional pain. I remember I would jump up and down like when I was praying and I would like scream and yell and be like, why aren't you doing anything about this? Kind of thinking that there would be an instant where he would solve it. Most of the time, I never even was comforted in the moment. I just felt terrible until I was more healed. I think my experience was he was like, I'm not even going to give you these moments of peace because <laughs> you would maybe misinterpret them. So I'm going to let you be in total pain for like a year and a half. And then the clouds sort of lifted. By that, I had been away from the abuse for a long time. I was feeling more healed. I had done a lot of work by that time. So I think it's interesting the different ways that God can help us because many women do feel a lot of peace, even though the situation isn't good, but it helps them continue to heal. So I don't think it's ever going to be bad to feel God's love and his comfort and his peace. And we don't ever have to think, wait a minute, that wasn't real. Well, Tracy, thank you so much for coming on today's podcast. So Tracy is a member of BTR Secret Forum, which is on Facebook and a member of our community. Being a member of our community is amazing because you get to be around amazing, strong women like Tracy, and you also get to be around women who are having a really hard time. It's a good mix of women who are feeling more healed and women who are struggling. If you are at that point where you think that would be helpful to you, go to our website, btr.org, scroll down to the bottom and enter your email and join our community where you can join our secret Facebook forum. And although the Facebook forum works for a lot of women, some women find it really triggery because it's not professionally facilitated. Some women find it really helpful. Others feel like, ugh, they just feel like they're kind of getting stuck. So for women who are not really finding the traction that they need, we encourage them to join the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group which is a live face-to-face -face group with a betrayal trauma recovery coach who is a professional and certified. And those groups, we see women making a lot of progress and they're less isolating because you actually get to talk to people face-to-face -face online. So if you haven't checked out the group session schedule, go to btr.org to learn more. And until next week, stay safe out there.